0: Brothers and sisters, would you take hold of a Bible, and would you turn in your Bibles to the book of John, and our sermon text this morning is John chapter 6, verse 22 through verse 59. John chapter 6, starting in verse 22. Hear the word of our God. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Just then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives his life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, yet do not believe. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Father, we ask now that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word. Amen. Amen. We are now at the end of... Holy Week. And so Holy Week has taken place all of this last week, starting last Sunday. And and during Holy Week, we find our Lord's most critical part of his life in ministry. So last Sunday, it all started with with the triumphal entry. Jesus was mounted on a colt and he made his way to Jerusalem and he was serenaded by the chants of the crowds. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, they chanted. And then Jesus made his way to the temple and he did something surprising and unexpected. He cleared away the the money changers and all the buying and selling. And after that, with some passing of time, Jesus gathered together his disciples, and they shared a last meal together, a a Passover, and sharing bread and wine with his disciples, he spoke with them, take, this is my body. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. And after this meal, events turned sour. On the Mount of Olives, the Lord Jesus wept, and he prayed, and he pled with his father while the disciples slept, for they were weary and tired. Then one of his own, Judas, betrayed him into the hands of the Jews, and after this, the pace. Quickens and in rapid succession, Jesus is questioned, tried, beaten, shamed, ultimately crucified. And at the end of all the treachery and, and violence and injustice, we find the Lord Jesus dead between two criminals with a placard reading above his head, King of the Jews. And really, the only time you can take a breath during Holy Week is on the Sabbath, on Saturday. Jesus laid in the tomb Friday night rested the whole sabbath but sunday morning came and once sunday morning came and the sun rose all was made new the women who came to tend jesus's dead body did not have a job to perform because there was no body the grave was empty and they had this piece of news to proclaim he is risen he is risen And so that's Holy Week. That's what we've been celebrating all week. That's what we've been remembering all week. And so in light of Holy Week and all that we've remembered, all that we've thought about, all that we've meditated on, I want to ask this question. What are we supposed to do with this Jesus? What are we supposed to do with this Jesus who died and rose again? Let's turn our attention to John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, this is the sort of question that the crowds are trying to sort out. While Jesus hadn't died or rose again yet, they were yet trying to, in earnest, figure out what to do with this Jesus. You see, just the day before this conversation, this long conversation that we read in John chapter 6, many of these people who were talking and dialoguing with Jesus were with Jesus the day before On the other side of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus performed a work of staggering significance. From five barley loaves and two fish, Jesus multiplied them and fed a crowd numbering 5,000 men. And from that feeding, there were 12 full baskets of leftovers. And so, of course, this is not the thing you you see in the remote countryside. This is not the thing you ever expect to see. The the, the crowds were stunned and gripped by what they saw. Their intention was fixed on Jesus. The day before, they were all whispering among themselves, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. They were talking among themselves, perhaps this is our long-awaited king, the Messiah who's going to set us free. Perhaps we should make him our king. So all that's going on the day before, but then Jesus does something Strange and entirely frustrating, he disappears. And he did so in a way that was utterly confounding. It was a mystery to the crowds. The disciples all left by boat after the feeding. But Jesus didn't go with him. And, and the crowds were eyewitnesses. They saw the disciples get in the boats and leaves, and they saw Jesus stay on this side, on the shore. But in the morning, they looked, and Jesus was nowhere to be found. And this is where we pick up the story in John chapter 6. Some of these people who had been with Jesus have now tracked Jesus down, and they're coming to Jesus armed with all of their questions about the feeding, about the disappearance, ultimately about what are we supposed to do with you? And so they come to Jesus. And so our text is instigated by the questions. Of the crowds, But as we look at our text, we see that it is Jesus who is carrying this conversation forward. He's directing this conversation and giving this conversation shape. And in these words that Jesus speaks, we find that he gives these seekers and questioners four specific answers to their question. What are we supposed to do with you? So I want to point them out to you. First answer is in verse 27. Look there with me. Jesus says this to the crowds. What are we supposed to do with you? He says, "Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you." As we look at verse 27, the word that stands out to us is the word "work." They must not work for the food that perishes, meaning if they sweat and labor and expend themselves for earthly food whether that's the next meal or a loaf of bread or a cart full of groceries, they will only be disappointed because that sort of food doesn't last. That sort of food perishes. But instead, they ought to sweat and labor and expend themselves for the food that remains to eternal life, which the Son of Man gives. So the first answer Jesus gives is this, work for the 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 food that endures. Second answer, verse 35. Jesus says, what are we supposed to do with you? I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. And there's another key word to focus in on. In verse 35, the word is come. And come is a discipleship word. Earlier in the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, verse 38, Jesus meets two men, and they're asking questions of him, and Jesus responds and says to them, come, and you will see. In another account, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has a, a crowd in front of him, and he is preaching to them, and he, he gives them these famous words Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. To come involves a movement. The crowds must leave where they're at. Where are they? They're hungry. They're, They're in famine. And they must set out in a new direction. And the destination point where they must go is Jesus. He is the destination. And if they come to him because he is the bread of life, they will not hunger anymore. So the second answer that Jesus gives is this. Come to me. Come to me. Third answer Verse 40, Jesus says, what are we supposed to do with you? For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up. Jesus drops the food analogy here for a moment. He'll pick it up again, and he exchanges it for another one of our, our senses, that of our eyes. So just think about it. What does he say? Everyone who looks on the sun and believes in him should have eternal life. When someone calls us to to look at something, they're not just calling for our eyes. We know they they want something more from us. If you have small children, you know this. One of your small children comes up to you and says, Daddy, Daddy, look, look, look. And what the child wants is not just a quick glance or an acknowledgement, yes, son, I I can see what you're doing here. That child wants the full attention of the parent. And this is what Jesus is after here. But we have to be careful lest we misunderstand the Lord Jesus. He isn't a small child seeking our attention. Look at me, look at me, look at me. No, he is the Savior defining the terms of salvation. Those who give Jesus a quick glance or a polite acknowledgement will not gain eternal life. Only those who gaze upon the Lord Jesus with undivided attention will gain eternal life. So Jesus gives a third answer. Look upon the Son. Look upon the Son. And we get a fourth answer. Verses 53 through 56. What are we supposed to do with you, Jesus? Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, abides in me and I in him. The imagery that Jesus lands on here is disturbing. It shocks our sensibilities. Just imagine Jesus' words as he was preaching to the crowds. Eat. What should we eat? Here's a chunk of flesh. Bite into it. Drink. What should we drink? Not a goblet of red wine, but a goblet of blood. Drink up. It makes our skin crawl. It disturbs us. It makes our stomachs churn. What is Jesus doing here, we ask? We just have to let Jesus' words sink in for a moment. Certainly the Lord Jesus is after shock. Otherwise, he would have never used such language like this. He wants to shock the crowds. He wants to, to shock us. Flesh, blood, eat, drink. But he's after more than that as we look at the text. And we see what he's after when we think about the purpose of eating and drinking. Why do we eat? Why do we drink? Well, we eat and we drink for sustenance. Why do we eat? We eat to live. Why do we drink? We drink to live. And if we don't eat, if we don't drink, we won't live. So then if there is to be life, Jesus is reckoning, Christ must be eaten. My body, and if there is to be life, I must be drunk. My very blood for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. So Jesus gives his fourth answer to the crowds, eat my flesh, drink my blood, that's what you must do with me. And so as we look at John chapter 6, we have these crowds coming to Jesus, they're armed with their questions, they're asking their questions, and Jesus is giving answers. He says, work, come, look, eat, and drink as we think about these answers, they all seem wildly different. Looking is very different than eating and drinking. And working and coming, those seem different as well. They all seem wildly different. But we have to understand in each one of these answers, work, come, look, eat, drink, Jesus is saying the same thing over and over again. He is telling the crowds this. What must you do with me? You must believe in me. You must believe in me. When Jesus calls them to work, he means this. Chapter 6, verse 29. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. When he speaks about the necessity of coming to him, so this discipleship word, leaving here, going there, what is he speaking about? Well, in the very same breath, he talks about the necessity of faith. When Jesus talks about looking, he's also talking about believing. And when he speaks those shocking words about eating flesh and drinking blood, what is Jesus talking about? He is talking about faith, living faith in Jesus. And so as we take all of Jesus' answers in, those he's using all of these different words, work, come, look, eat, drink, he is saying the same thing. What must be done with Jesus? We must believe in Jesus. And Jesus is a master teacher. He uses all of these different words, work, come, look, eat, drink, so that we might know with perfect clarity what it means, what it really means to believe in him. And each word that Jesus uses sheds precious light on the reality of saving faith in Jesus. And so brothers and sisters in Jesus this morning receive these commands from Jesus, work, work, Brother, sister, you must obtain Christ. Whatever labor, whatever cost, whatever undertaking or effort, it is worth it. Work for the bread that endures to life, which the Son of Man gives to you. Receive this command from Jesus. Come. Come to the Son of Man. You must leave behind the wasteland of your old life. All that searching, all that looking for joy. And you must come to the Son of God, who is called the bread of life, and you will find satisfaction you must obey this command look look you must focus the attention of your heart undivided on the Lord Jesus only on Christ and no one nothing else and you must eat and drink Hear this, only one meal gives life, and that meal is Jesus. So make him your portion, eat him and drink him, and eat and drink no other. There's life in Jesus. These are the words that meet us this morning. Work, come, look, eat, drink. And these are the words we need to receive this morning if we want to live. As we take in John 6, since we have the scene, the crowds are coming to Jesus, Jesus is answering them, we see that no words could be any clearer. What are we supposed to do with you, Jesus? Jesus is giving them the answer. But now we need to turn back to John chapter 6. And when we turn back to John chapter 6, we find sour news. And so I've pulled up these four answers from the text, and what I want to do now is take these four answers and put them back in the text and read them in context. I want to work through the passage and show you how these people respond to Jesus' preaching. So Jesus calls them to work for the food that endures to eternal life, and, and when Jesus calls them to work, they're confused by Jesus. So they ask, verse 28. What must we do to be doing the works of God? And so Jesus clarifies, he gives them a very clear answer. Verse 29, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. But as we keep reading, this clear language of Jesus does not satisfy the questioners at all. Even though they were with Jesus and they saw him do this great miracle, he fed 5,000 men with just five loaves and, and two fish, they weren't convinced that he was sent from God. And so they ask, verse 30, verse 31, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus just stops right here and he corrects them. It wasn't Moses that gave them bread, but it was God. And now God is doing a greater work in the here and now, right in their midst. Jesus says, verse 32, My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. But the crowds don't see it. They can't escape their stomachs. They misunderstand Jesus, thinking that God is giving some sort of super manna in the present time, like in the Exodus story. Verse 34. Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus corrects them again. They must not look for bread to fall from the skies. They must not look for another banquet in the wilderness. They must overcome their carnality, their senses, and instead look right at him. Verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But this is just too much for the crowds to stomach. They begin to grumble and complain about Jesus. They begin to openly question his credentials and authorities. They're thinking in their heads, if this is the portion that God is giving, I don't know if I want this portion. Verse 42. Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus, as he always does, takes his right foot and punches the accelerator. He's not stopping. He's pushing forward. He's gonna push this conversation to the breaking point. They're doubting whether he's the portion of life sent from the Father. Verse 51, Jesus responds, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Verse 53, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And we find the sad results. Verse 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And then it gets really disheartening. Even those who were following Jesus, verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Verse 66, after this many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. What we find in John chapter 6 is an ugly picture of human sin, but it is an accurate picture of the human heart in sin. Just take it in. Picture this in your head. Jesus is standing before these people, But they cannot see Jesus for who he is. Jesus is teaching these people word after word after word, but they cannot understand him. Their minds are so clouded by sin. Jesus sets before them sweet promise after sweet promise after sweet promise. Life, eternal life, resurrection. But they won't nibble. They won't take a bite of Jesus' words. Jesus discloses himself, his mission. I am sent from God. I am the bread of life. I will raise you up. But what They're offended. They're angry with the Lord Jesus. And here's the truth to grab hold of here. Jesus is not attractive to the heart bound up in sin. We can say it's stronger. Jesus and his gospel are downright repulsive to the heart bound up in sin. And you have to look no further than John chapter 6 to prove that point. We see it taking place. No amount of persuasion, no high-pressure sale, no long-educated talk can convince a sinful heart to love, cherish, and treasure Jesus. Sinful hearts of their own accord won't do it. They won't obey Jesus' words. Work, come, look, eat, drink. Instead, what do sinful hearts do bound up in their sin? They question Jesus. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They say, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Ultimately, what hard hearts do is they do this. They turn away from Jesus when he preaches himself and his gospel. And hear this. This applies not only to the people we find in John chapter 6. It applies to our present day. On our own, our wills will never comply with the conditions that Jesus sets before us in John chapter 6. On our own, we will never work, we will never come, we will never look, we will never eat and drink because in our sin, Jesus is repulsive. And so John 6 puts us in a real bind, does it not? I can feel it. Hopefully you can feel it. Jesus' terms are before us as we're taking in this chapter. Work, come, look, eat, drink. But then we are met with the, the, the stubborn, sinful heart which will, will not come along with Jesus' commands, which will not submit and agree with them, but instead are repulsed by them. And so in sin, we are shut out from eternal life. So is there any way out of this bind that we find? Well, there is. There is. And the way out is in verses 37 through 40. Jesus points us to God, to the sovereign God. And I'm going to draw out four statements of hope, Easter hope, for you from these four verses, verses 37 through 40. So the first statement is this. It's good news. God has taken action. Verse 37, Jesus preaches this. All that the Father has given me will come to me. Do you see the good news that Jesus is giving us in this text? He is telling us that God has done something. He has taken action. Hear this. God is not waiting around patiently for sinners to get their acts together. He's not sitting on the sidelines just watching and hoping that sinners will come to their senses and finally turn to Jesus and obey him. That's not how God works. We see in verse 37 that God the Father has taken the initiative. And what has he done by taking the initiative? He has taken hold of a people and he has given them to the Son for the sake of redemption. All that the Father has given me. So our first piece of hope is this. God has taken action. Statement number two. God's action is infallible. God's action is infallible. Look at verse 37 again. So Jesus says, all that the Father has given me. So the Father has taken a people and entrusted them to the Son for the sake of redemption. Redemption. And Jesus finishes, all that the Father has given me will come to me. Just notice the language that the Lord Jesus uses. He doesn't say might. All that the Father has given me might come to me. He doesn't speak of possibilities. All that the Father has given me, there's a good chance I'm thinking that they're going to come to me. Rather, he speaks of certainties, all given to him by the Father. So the Father has taken his people, given them to the Son for the sake of redemption. All of those people given will come to Jesus. We ask his readers, how can Jesus be so certain that all of these people that the Father has given will, will come? Well, Jesus answers, verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. So the Father is giving a people to the Son for the sake of redemption. Those people will come. And why will they come? The Father is going to draw them to the Son. And how does the Father do this? Verse 45. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. This is good news. All given to the Son will come because the Father will overcome the stubborn resistance and the insensible folly that reigns in our hearts that keeps us away from Jesus. The Father will come and He will teach these people that He has given to the Son. He will teach them, and in teaching them, He's going to change their hearts so Christ looks precious, beautiful, and good to them. And when the Father does that, what are these people going to do? They're going to come to the Son gladly and willingly. So we met with good news. God is going to bring a people to faith in Jesus. God's going to do it. Third statement. Jesus is faithful to keep. Jesus is faithful to keep. Verses 38 and 39. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, so just keep, keep this in your mind, so that the Father is doing what He is giving people to the Son, and those people are going to come to the Son, because the Father is drawing them to the Son. And what is the Son going to do in this? The Son is going to keep these people. This is glorious. Just take notice of the, the certainties in our text. God's going to give a people. Those people are going to come to the Son, but it gets better. This is not the end of the certainties. Those who come to Jesus will be kept by Jesus. Not a single soul will be lost among God's people. You won't be lost, brother, sister, in Jesus. You cannot be, for Jesus will not lose a single one. And this is good news for Easter morning. Hear this. If you have come to Christ, your fate rests not in your own wisdom or your own goodness or your own endurance, but your fate rests in the keeping power of Jesus. I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. Let me get one more statement. Jesus will raise his people up. He will raise his people up. Verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Nothing is going to frustrate God's design of salvation. Not in the beginning, not in the middle, not in the end. Not even the last enemy of death will frustrate God's plan of salvation for his people. Jesus, in verse 40, pledges himself to the resurrection. On the last day, when the end is come, Christ himself will come and he will raise up the dead bodies of God's people. He will pick them up out of the ground, every last atom, and unite their souls to those bodies and secure for them the gift of eternal life forever. So Christian, hear this great news today on Easter Sunday. Jesus is the great keeper. And just apply it to yourself this morning. Consider your body today. Just look at your body. Maybe if you're aging and your body's hurting, look at your body and consider the whole of your body. Not even your body will be lost in God's plan of redemption. Christ will raise it up. You will not be lost. Jesus says, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's good news. So we can circle back to how we began. Looking at Holy Week from last Sunday, triumphal entry to this Sunday, we've got Jesus' death and resurrection. What are we supposed to do with this Jesus? What are we supposed to do with him? Let me tell you the good news one more time this morning. Hear this. Jesus gives food that endures to eternal life. And that food that he gives that endures to eternal life is himself. He is bread better than the bread that Moses gave. And he is the better bread because he is the bread given by God, the bread that comes down from heaven, the bread of life. And all who eat of this bread... Will be satisfied. The pangs of hunger, that empty appetite, that searching for joy, all of it will cease if you eat of the bread of life. Better yet, something we can't even comprehend in this moment all who eat of this bread will live forever. Hear this if you eat of Jesus, you will live forever. That's the gospel. So Christ offers himself truly to you today. And so hear Christ's call. He tells you this morning, work for the food that endures to eternal life. And so I urge you in Christ's name, work. Christ urges you this morning, he says, come. Come to the bread of life and you will never hunger again. And so I urge you, come. Jesus says, look. And I urge you, look upon the Son of God. Give him your heart. Finally, Jesus says, eat. Eat. And drink. And I urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ eat his flesh, drink his blood, believe and live. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are made glad by your word. We love the gospel of your Son. We're so thankful that you are sovereign, freeing us from our sins so that we can come to Jesus and delight in him. And so give us eager and obedient hearts that we might take hold of Christ, that we might work, that we might come and look and eat and drink. We want Christ. Amen.